been thinking about some things uh, lately here. A lot of people have been calling me and talking to me about um, being in trial. Um, being in confusion. What did we say? I think it's the book of James says that when you're in confusion, where confusion is working, uh, confusion and strife, contention, all that stuff, is every what? Every evil work can start from that. God's not the author of confusion. So when confusion is there, you know God's not in it. Okay? It's just very simple. Um, so uh, you don't want the confusion to work. You don't want strife to work. You don't want contention to work. Because in the midst of that is every evil work. And we know that comes from, you know, Satan himself, every evil work. So whether it comes through the man of sin or, you know, whatever. Um, we understand that uh, we have to have uh, the right mindset. I think Dan was talking about having the right mind this morning, having the right mindset. Let this mind be in you, which was also in what? In Christ Jesus. Uh, you know, we all have to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Actually, that's what God wanted from the beginning. The blood of bulls and goats never could do it. All it could do is just atone for certain things, but it could not remit them. You couldn't go into a remission of sins. You just cover it. You atoned it. And uh, I remember it talks about the high priest going into the temple every year to offer for the people. But think about this, guys. If he has to offer every year for the people, for the sins of the people, then is there a, a reminder of sin by doing that every year? Yeah. Uh, Jesus never wanted that to continue. He wanted us to be free from sin, which is why he came, gave his life, so we can be free from it and, and not have a reminder of it every year that we're gonna, next year we'll be here again because of our sin. Well, that's not how it was. But somebody had to intervene. That was a foreshadowing of some things that Christ would do. So in the foreshadow of it, it was done uh, by the priest in the temple. And what Christ does, he does it from inside of our heart by the Spirit. He offers himself once and for all for sin, and he presents that sacrifice. He's the mediator. He is the high priest after the order of Melchizedek, and he offers that to God, and now it's been taken care of. So... What we need to do is that we have to realize all of these actions have to happen in our world also. If it happened in the Bible, it has to happen in us. So what's going to happen is, is that these things, having the intermediary working for you, what does the eighth chapter of Romans say? It says sometimes we don't even know what to pray for, do we? Groanings, utterings, and so forth. So who's our intermediary? Who mediates for us? It's Christ. And so that's what we want. We want Christ to be the mediator in our lives and to take care of the things that we need to have done in our lives, our spiritual walk with God. Um, everybody tries to relate what God did to this physical realm. God is more concerned about the spirit. Um, he told the woman at that, that well, what did he, how did he put it? He said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him how? in spirit and in truth. This is what God wants us to do is worship him in spirit. And he says he seeketh such to worship him that way because he's the father, right? Jesus was the perfect example because he was an obedient servant. He didn't say anything unless it was from the father. Didn't do anything unless the father instructed him to do it. He was the perfect example of obedience and he was the perfect example of being led by the father. Well, we're being led. 
This, this is what God is doing for us. The church is coming together in uh, a mindset of unity. And in, within that unity, the, the spirit of Christ is working among us to bring us into that. Anything that we fall short of, what is God doing? He's preaching by the gospel to show us the things that we need to be aware of. That's what the gospel is all about. You listen to this gospel, there'll be things that you'll be able to overcome. You're going to overcome them because of understanding and because of wisdom. Not man's understanding, not man's wisdom, or not what some man tells you behind a pulpit in a, in a building. You have to know God for yourself. And that's something that we always tell you. You need to know him for yourself. The things that I say, and you go check them out in the Word. Check them out in your prayer. Check them out in the Spirit of God. Remember, it says you have to examine these things, you know, because there's many spirits that have gone out into the world. Many false prophets. Isn't that true? Well, whose world is he talking about? Is he talking about this physical world or this world? This one is going out in the world in you. That's why you have the thoughts that you have and the things that you do. Sometimes you manifest things that are not of God. This is your world that's in you. This is the world that God's concerned about. Uh, and so it's a very powerful thing for you to understand. Your thoughts are important. Thoughts and, and words, they are spirit whether you realize it or not. Thoughts and words are spirit. So what God is doing, he wants to know where, what you're thinking and what you're speaking and what you're actually doing. And those things have to be led by God. Walk in the light as he is in the light. Become the light. That's the thing that God wants us to do. Ye are the light of the world. So he become that light from following Christ. So um, so people have been calling me lately, and they've been going through trial and tribulation. When they call, they tell me about these problems that they're having or certain things that are going on in their life. Now, this is the thing that, that we have to be very careful about, that we don't look at those things as a physical manifestation and wanting God to do something physically here for us. The thing that we want is for God to touch our spirits that no matter what happens, we're still in unison with Christ. Have you ever noticed that, that some people can go through all kinds of trials and stuff, but as long as they're unified with Christ, they can make it. Then there's the person that can't go through them like that. All these things come on them, and they get discouraged or they get distressed, and they can't make it. You see how this works? We all know both types, don't we? So what we have to do is understand that God wants us to understand that these trials serve a purpose. <clears throat> and a lot of churches here, people say, well, these things shouldn't happen. I'm just the opposite. Jesus said, and uh, I think it's John 16, 33, says, in the world you shall have tribulation. He's warning us. You're going to have it, period. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. That's the key. But some people, uh, I'll say it like this way, some Christians without understanding, they say, oh, you come to Jesus, everything's going to be all right. You'll never have a problem. Everything will be hunky-dory. That's a lie. Because Jesus told us just the opposite. He said, you're going to have tribulation. So even though he said that, he never leaves us alone in it. That's the key. That's the most important thing. And do we have tribulation always? No, it's not 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But there are going to be times we're going to enter into trial and tribulation. It's just as simple as that. We enter into trouble, things that trouble us, things that happen in our world. So it's very important for you to understand that these things will come. God said he would never take away temptation. Some people say that he does. If you look at the first chapter of James, he does not. He tells us just the opposite again. He says, when the, he said, you should uh, rejoice in tribulation. 
wait a minute, rejoice in it? Rejoice in the trouble? Rejoice in temptation? Because that's what he's saying. Should we rejo- How can we get to the point that we can rejoice in that if we understand the will of God? Because those things come actually to test us and prove us. And after being tested and proven, if you can pass the test, guess what happens? You'll rejoice in it. There's not going to be any sadness in that. Now, sometimes we're human here. Sometimes the way we think, if we're not having our mind on Christ, we get worn down by problems. Anybody ever have that? Everybody ever, ever been worn down by problems? I'm talking about worn down because they stay for so long. You know, sometimes that's to us it seems long. Stays like it's so long, so long. We say, oh, my God, when is this going to end and whatever. And then it seems like it goes even longer sometimes. Well, here's the thing that we have to understand. Did Jesus ever leave? Or is he still there with us? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. He doesn't abandon us. He said, I'll never leave you, never forsake you. In another place, he said, I will not leave you comfortless. Can we have comfort in the midst of trial? Yes, we can. It's hard because sometimes we're thinking with our fleshly mind and we lose sight that Jesus is there with us. That's what we lose sight of. So we always oh, me. Oh, there's so much. I'm, I don't know if I can take it. All these things. Well, you can take it if you have Christ there with you. If you can get your mind on Christ as opposed to the problem, you will be blessed. Okay. You have to have experiences in God to mature in this. It may be something that, that God has done for you, and that's one thing you can say, gosh, I remember when God did this. And then the next thing, and the next thing. Do you know you, you mature in faith? You mature even in the trials that you have. You think about this. Paul, and in, in I think it's in Corinthians, talks about all the trials that he had, you know, where he was stoned outside of Lystra. He was beaten three times, you know, stripes. Uh, 40 saved one, you know, each three different times by the Jews. And he, he was, when he was stoned outside of Lystra, they thought they had killed him, stoned him. He's laying there, then he gets up and walks away. <laughs> the snake that jumps out of the, the sticks and latches onto his hand. And the people who knew that snake said, hey, this is two-stepper. Once he gets you, you take a step or two and you're dead, you know, because of the poison. He shook it off into the fire and kept on doing what he was doing. Very important things. Um, There are going to be trials. There are going to be things that are going to tempt us to lose our faith in God. But don't ever lose your faith. Have faith in God. That's what the scripture tells us, right? Have faith in God because God's going to take us through. God has a master plan. He, He tried it with Israel. Israel failed. Everything that tried Israel, did they pass the test? Did they prove it? when they were out in the wilderness. They failed God every time. There were 10 times in the wilderness that things tried them. They failed all 10 of them. All 10 of them. Now, I want you to think about something. How many uh, uh, things were done to Pharaoh to deliver them out of Egypt? 10. There were 10 plagues, 10. It's the same thing. Do you think maybe they carried some of that with them when they left because they never fully left Egypt? So that when God put the proving before them, they failed every time. They murmured against God and so forth. In fact, the New Testament tells us they couldn't enter into the promised land because of what? Unbelief, because they never believed God. Wow. 
very powerful thing. So they couldn't enter in because of unbelief. So I'm going to tell you something this morning. There's something that happened to King David. And I think it's a study in how we can um, last while we're in trial and tribulation, that we can endure as we're going through it. These things are put into the Word of God to help us. Old Testament is great about it, you know, talking about some of the things that, that happened. You had to have men of God that, that persevered in the midst of trial. David was one of them. And there was a trial that he was having with Saul. Saul was chasing him all the time to kill him. Always, always jealous of David. Always wanting to kill him. There's so many different instances. One time that he sent a group of men out to get him because David was supposed to be in a certain forest. When they got, David got word of it, he left. Uh, there was a household that he was in. And this is something that's really uh, bad there. I think it was the household of Ahimelech. And David had been there, and Ahimelech had helped him and so forth, and then him and his men, and then he had taken off. The word got back to Saul. Saul called the whole household in of Ahimelech, except for Abiathar. He didn't come. And they called them all in, and he, killed, he slew all of them because they helped David. And, and the guy explained to him before he slew him, he said, hey, isn't he your son-in-law? Isn't he married to your daughter? Is he not one of your great warriors that fought beside you and so forth? The guy's right. Everything he's saying is right. So why would I not help him if he comes to me? You know, but he didn't know the things that were in Saul's mind, how he hated David and how jealous he was of him, how he wanted to kill him, how he sent men out all the time to kill him in different ways. There was a, a guy named Dog, D-O-E-G, that had seen David at uh, Ahimelech's place. And David looked at him when he was there, and he didn't trust him. And later on, he's the one that, that Saul uses to kill all of that household because he was willing to do what Saul said. But he reported that David had been there. This shows you that people that you think that you know or maybe your friends may not be the friend that you think they are. May not be. And he went back and reported it to Saul, and then Saul called them all in there, had them all killed. Abiathar, or Abiathar, he stayed, he escaped, and he went to be with David, and he's a priest. I know some of you remember that Abiathar, or Abiathar is a priest, and he went to be with David, and so he started traveling with him because the rest of his household had been killed just because David had been there and had gotten some help. Very powerful stuff that you have. When, when you have someone that's in a position of authority and they misuse it, can they put a lot of pressure on you? Oh, yeah. How many have ever had a boss that put pressure on you that because he was in the position of authority? Several times, you know, had to work through those things under that pressure of those things. You know what? Because of God, you can make it, you know, because uh, until God opens up a door for you to go to another place <laughs> and you can go, can't you? It's very powerful stuff. So anyway, uh, Saul has been pursuing David so much and so much, and he got to a point. Now, didn't God rescue David almost every single time? Remember when Saul was in the cave and, and he never realized David was there and he cut off part of his skirt and took a staff and got on a mountain far away so he could holler and tell him, say, look, I was right in that cave. I could have killed you, but I didn't. I didn't want to touch the Lord's anointed. I didn't do it. And even Saul had to say, you're a better man than I am. He told him. He said, you are a righteous man. But that didn't stop him from pursuing him. And uh, so many different ways, many different, can't go through all of them, but he kept pursuing David. David got to the point where he actually said this. He said, uh, 
I'm going to go to the Philistines. Remember, these are the people David slaughtered left and right. <laughs> Remember he slew Goliath? And then all the other Philistines, people had battles with him. Uh, Saul killed his thousand. David killed his ten thousands. I mean, he had whipped up on some Philistines. Guess what? He gets tired of what Saul is doing, goes to a, a, a Philistine king by the name of Ashish, and he talks to him. Now, he's done this before. He went to him the first time, and, and, and they said, isn't this David, the one that killed so many of us? And the people gathered together, and they were going to kill David. What did David do? Anybody remember what he did? There you go. He, he, he allowed spittle to come down on his beard and started acting like he was crazy and stuff. And the king held back and said, oh, look, don't, don't bother this man. He's a madman. You know, that we know it's David, but he's a madman. That's how he escaped from under it. He escaped. That was pretty good. He changed his appearance, didn't he? Changed the way he acted. People say nobody ever changes their appearance. And they, David did. He changed to save his life. <laughs> and he went, you know, and then he got a chance to escape. So, but this is months later, he's coming back again, and now there's a difference. It's not David being by himself. He has 600 faithful men that are with him, his wives, his children, their wives and their children, all that. And what happens is he goes and he, he's a mercenary. You know, we hear the term mercenary. He was a mercenary, and what he would do for, for King Ashish, he'd go and attack these little villages and stuff, wipe them all out, take all the the loot and whatever they had, and he'd come back and give tribute to King Asius. And he did that so good and so often that the king says, you know what, he, this man has some stuff in him. He has some honor in him and so forth. And Asius came to like David. Now, this is a Philistine liking David. And he came to like him. And so they were going to, the, the story is important. Um, they were fighting with King Saul still. Remember, Saul's still fighting Philistines. And they went up to this place to, uh, I don't know if it was Beersheba or where it was. They were going up to this place to attack Israel. And the generals and the princes gathered around King Asius. And they said, what is, what is this man? Because David and his men just got right behind him. They were going to go with him and go, you know. And they, they said, isn't this that David? Here we go again. Said, isn't this David? He said, yeah, but he's proven himself to me. He's been a good man. You know, he's, uh, there's a lot more to the story, but I'm just telling you that. He's a good man. I trust him. He said, no, he could be somebody that can start a battlement in the rear while we're going forward in the front fighting the Israelites. He said, uh, we don't trust him like King Asius did. And they said, get rid of him. Get him and his men out. So King Asius came to him and said, I'm sorry, David. They don't want you going with us. Go back to the city that I gave you. Now, King Asius liked David so much, he gave him a city. And anybody remember the name of the city? It's, it's, it's a... Ziklag. He gave him the city. It's right on the border between where Israel had his property and the Philistines had theirs. And he gave him the city of Ziklag for him and his 600 men, their wives, their kids, and all that stuff. And so they'd been going. That's how he did his mercenary work. Come out of Ziklag, go do all this stuff, and then take the tribute to the king. But the king said, you go back to Ziklag, the city I gave, and you just stay there. They don't want you with us in this fight because we're fighting your people, you know, and they don't trust you. So Dave said, what have I done? I've been nothing but faithful to you. I've been a good mercenary. I've been doing it. He said, I know. He said, but the princes and all the people that, that are with me, they made league. And they said, no, we don't want him coming with us. So they sent him back home. When he got home, here's something that's weird. Now, remember, we're talking about trial and tribulation. He got back home 
and the whole city was burned. Their wives and children were taken. All their crops, or all their sheep and everything, everything's gone. The Amalekites had come in while he was gone and taken the city of Ziklag, took his two wives, everything, and they were gone. And the men, the 600 men, they started, you know, moaning, and where my wife is gone, my children are gone. Man, they just, they started going into a tizzy about all this stuff, and then they all started looking at David. And they started saying, you know what, we ought to stone him for him leading us out here, and we left our family unprotected. His own men decided that they wanted to stone him, and David knew it. And guess what he did? This is the thing. David turned and encouraged himself in the Lord. He encouraged himself. I'm telling you something here today, saints. When you're in the midst of trial, and especially if it's a long one, it's time to start encouraging yourself in the Lord in the things that God has done for you, in the things that God has already accomplished in your life. And David turned and encouraged himself. He didn't mind the men gathering the stones or anything. He didn't pay attention to them. He turned and encouraged himself in the Lord. Now, he had been worn down. In fact, it uses the term distress. He was so distressed about what Saul had been doing with him. This is why he went to the Philistines. But he said, this is so much, so much. But then he, he caught himself in this. Sometimes your distress and how you're losing your faith in the things of God will cause you to be distressed and you don't seek God. You think about the problem more than you think about God. You see how this works? David realized he'd gone into distress over this. He realized he had. And he said, what am I doing this for? I need to turn to the Lord like I normally do. But that's how things wear us down sometimes, don't they? The stress of it, the thing, you know, constantly being in fear for his life, constantly being chased and so forth, even to the point where he went to be with the Philistines. To that point. And Saul heard that he had gone to be with the Philistines. Quit chasing him. Very powerful thing. God had some things going on here that he was working out for David. But it took David recognizing what he had to do to come out of that distress. So many of us stick with the distress. So many of us stick with the thing that's going on with us, with the trial, with the tribulation. And we don't encourage ourselves in the Lord. We expect everybody else to try to encourage us, right? Sometimes that doesn't do any good. Have you ever been in something, somebody comes up, well, it'll be better, it'll be better. Yeah, you don't understand what I'm going through. Isn't that what you say to yourself? You don't understand what I'm going through. You don't know what I've been through and whatever, and it doesn't do you much good. But what if you can encourage yourself because of your relationship with God? That's a big thing, huh? You know God and God knows you. You've had prayers that have been answered. You know things God has rescued you from. You know things God has delivered you from. Why not turn to God again even in that time? Even if it's a worse time, what you need to do is don't let the distress get you to the point where you lose your encouragement in God. So David encouraged himself in the Lord. Now there's something special about David. He's a priest, a king, and a prophet. Most, most people don't realize he's all of that. He's a priest, a king, and a prophet. And he told Abiathar, he said, go get me the priest's ephod. And he put the ephod on. Now, to you, you would say, only priests could do that. But that's what he was. He put the ephod on, and he went and sought the Lord. He said, Lord, shall I go after them? Will we recover everything? Because he doesn't know. He's asking God, will we recover? Will it be good for us? And he has the priest's robe on, and he's praying to God. God answers him, go, 
you'll recover it all. That would make me feel pretty good, huh? You've lost everything. Your city's been burned. Your wives are gone. Your children are gone. All your flocks, everything's gone. You left and you came back and everything's destroyed. This is what can happen to us in our trials, even to the point that things are destroyed in our life, things that we held precious. Isn't that true? But always remember that God is there. Encourage yourself in the things of God. And he did. He encouraged himself. And God said, you shall recover all. He said, pursue. Pursue them. And him and his 600 men. Now, I'm going to tell you this ahead of time. There are more Amalekites than him and his 600. I'm telling you that right now. But he pursued them. And they were all camped out in the field. I don't know how long away it was. All the stuff was there. David and his men attacked killed all of them, got their wives back, got their children back, and got the extra from the Amalekites, the stuff they had, all the stuff that they had been getting, brought all of it back. He recovered it all because God told him, pursue. Have, be confident. You've encouraged yourself in me. You will get it all back. How many of us, you know, lose wives and children or husbands? Or and we say, man, can, should we pursue? Do we have, is it any use? God told him, yeah. I'm with you. Pursue. And he got it all back. And they all went back to Ziklag, rebuilt Ziklag, had their city back, did the whole thing, all because in the trial, David realized he had to turn to God again. It was a greater trial. He had never lost his wives before. City burned all of a That had never happened to him before. But this time, this was a harder stress than some of the other things. Yeah, Saul had been chasing him, but now he's losing his wives and his kids and all of that. And he's saying, what, what should I do, Lord? Shall I pursue? Is it any use? God said, pursue, and you shall recover all. Man, you get a word from God. Can that take you out of discouragement and put you into encouragement? You get a word from God. I'm, yeah, people can say words to you, but what if you get a word from God? God tells you it's going to be all right. Just like Jesus said, in the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. He said, I'm with you. I'll never leave you comfortless. Isn't that what he told us? We have to remember that when we're in trial. Because we are going to have trial. So what does trial serve for us? Do you realize God allows the trial? What's he doing it for? He's proving you. He's proving you whether you're going to believe him or not. He's proven you in the trial. What is Satan there for? What is the man of sin there for? What is the devil there for? What, what are they to God? They're his servants. They're his servants. God uses them to strengthen you. You look at it the right way, that's what he's doing. People say, oh, no, Jesus, don't even let the devil get to me. Don't let the man of sin. I don't want to have anything to do. Take him away. Take him away. Well, you have a useless prayer. You're praying amiss. Because God is using them. He's using them to prove you. The more you get proved, the greater your faith is going to be in God. Don't run from those things. Don't be afraid of them. Turn toward them and walk into them. It's a very important thing to do that. God has them there as a servant. Satan is his servant. Man of sin is his servant. All of these things are his servants. And they're there to strengthen you. If you look at it right, what God is doing, you'll do the same thing David did. You'll encourage yourself in the Lord. Lord, you allowed this thing to strengthen me. Teach me what I need to learn out of this, out of this trial. Teach me what am I to learn out of this? Because that's what God's doing. 
He's proving you for a reason. He wants you to learn something. The number one thing you're going to learn is what? God is overall. <laughs> That's what you're going to learn. There's nothing greater than God. Sometimes we think our problems are greater than God. They're not greater than God. God will show you that he is great, and he will answer your prayer. Does that mean that you're not going to go through some things? Oh, you're going to go through them. You're going to go through them because that's what's going to make you strong. What did he tell uh, uh, Paul? He said, man, Lord, I besought you three times for this thorn in the flesh. Didn't he say that? He said, and you haven't answered the prayer. Normally when I pray, Lord, you answer. But this time there's no answer to the prayer. And he said, God told him, said, no, I'm not going to answer it. He said, I'm going to show you something here. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. Well, what does that mean? He said, a messenger of Satan was given you to buffet you in the flesh, unless you be what? Exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations and things that you have. You're a very good and smart man, Paul. You know lots of things in me. But because so you won't get lifted up, I'm going to give you a messenger of Satan. Wait, wait, wait. Who sent him the messenger of Satan? God did. God did. It's been given you. And, and Paul realized that, oh, my God. God is the one that's doing this. And so he could turn in that and look at it and be strengthened in it. What did God tell him? In your weakness, you're going to be made what? Strong. And Paul said, well, now I'm going to change my thought. Now I'm a glory in my infirmities. Every weakness I have, every infirmity I have, I'm a glory in it. Because you know why? God's grace is going to be present with me. And he went through a lot. He lists the stuff that he goes through. He went through a lot. But then he had learned something. He learned that God's grace was a fit. His grace, the work that God did in his life, was going to carry him through all of those things. Just like David had to learn to encourage himself, Paul knew it. He said, I have a relationship with Christ that no matter what I go through, no matter what I go through, he's going to be there with me. He's going to help me. He's going to encourage me. This is what Paul learned through it all. How many of us could be stoned and <laughs> see people stone you and get up and walk away? You know, just it's just an amazing thing. I know Christ can do this. I remember when Paul did some stuff. Remember Eutychus? He, he was the guy that was in the second story while Paul was preaching. And so Paul was long preaching. He fell asleep and fell out like some of us do here. <laughs> and fell out the window and died. Paul left. He went around and said, oh, Eutychus, he's dead. He fell from the second story. Went out there, touched him, prayed for him. Eutychus got up. See, it's amazing stuff. This is what, this is what God does for us. This is what he's doing. And so it's an amazing thing. Can God still do those things today? Oh, most assuredly. He's the same God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What is prophecy? It was, it is, and is to come, isn't it? All of that. Who is that? Who is the prophecy? Is it Jesus? Wow. The testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. So is he prophecy? He's in charge of it all, huh? This is how it's going to work, guys. We have to be encouraged in these things to know that God's going to do it. People say, well, that was back in that day. Hey, this is this day. And it's the same God back there that's here now and will be in the future. He will do this for us. We are his people. There's a scripture I love. Um, I'm trying to remember where I, I think it's 2 Corinthians. 
Now the Lord is that spirit. How do we have to worship him? Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. So what are we beholding? The glory of the Lord, right? Are changed into the same image. So as you behold the glory of the Lord, you get changed into the same image. Oh, gee, so what image would you see? What would you be in? Jesus Christ, wouldn't you? Are changed into the same image from glory to glory. There are levels in it, higher and higher, glory to glory. Wow. Even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So as you look into these things, these things that happen to your life, you ought to start beholding the face of Jesus because you're going to be changed into that same image and from glory to glory. Are you being tested so you can go from one glory to another? Yes, you are. And all by, it's all going to be done by the Spirit of the Lord, this says, right? So I'd like to behold the face of Jesus and know that I'm in that too. I'm going to behold that face and I'll have the same image, the same image of Christ as by the Spirit of the Lord. God's bringing us to that point, guys. He's bringing us to it. We're going to see the image of Christ and we're going to see us. You see how that works? Same image, but you'll know it's you. Isn't that cool? You got to encourage yourself in the Lord. David didn't know anywhere else to go. He said, you know what? David encouraged himself. I'm distressed right now, Lord. God knew that. I'm distressed, but you bring me the linen ephod. Let me put my priest robe on and let me pray and see what God's going to do for me. And God said, pursue, you'll recover all. Wow. And he did. Can you imagine how his faith was built after that? Lost everything, recovered all, and then got extra on the way back. There's another little thing it talks about in there. Uh, he had the 600 men. He only took 400 with him to, to get the stuff back from the Amalekites. 200 of the men were so faint from doing the other stuff they had come back with and whatever. And he told David, told him, hey, you're not going to be any good to us. You just wait here. And he took the other 400 with him. Confidence in the lesser number, he was still going to recover. And took that number with them. They recovered everything back. One of the men on the way back said, we shouldn't share this with the two that had the 200 that waited back. David said, oh, here we go. He got upset. He said, why would you say something like that? Why? Are they not standing by the stuff that we had while we went to fight? They deserve every part of this just like we deserve it. We're going to share it all equally. And whoever said that, you have an evil spirit. You have a spirit of Belial. By, for saying that. And so they did. They shared everything they brought back, even with the 200 that waited by the stuff, because they're all his men. God doesn't differentiate from us that way either. There may be some that can do greater things, but he doesn't forget you that does what you are able to do. He's going to share it all with you. You see how it works? That's a great lesson for all of us. Well, you know, you're an elder. You're this and this. And that. Yeah. Are you the people of God? Are you the children of God? Will God do for you what he does for me and what he does for others? Most assuredly. It doesn't make any difference who you are or what position you're in or what you've done. God is your God. And if you serve him with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, guess what? He's going to love you. And by his love, he's going to always take care of you. I will not leave you comfortless. Isn't that what he says? I won't. I won't do it. So God's our, our master, isn't he? But he's also the one that loves us. 
and he loves us with a great love. It says, a great love wherewith he loved us, so much so that he sent his son to die for us. Huh? Very powerful stuff. So encouragement in trial. When you're in trial, I want you to start thinking about something because from time to time, we're all going to be in it. While you're in the midst of it, start thinking about David encouraged himself in the Lord. I should encourage myself in the Lord. If you feel yourself getting distressed or you're losing your hope or your faith is going down, stop for a minute. Hey, what is happening with you? I'm in the midst of trial. So let, let me encourage myself in the Lord because God is here with me. Don't ever forget. Don't think you're alone. God is there with you. And encourage yourself in the midst of that trial. Don't get fearful and run off. Don't, don't try to. There was a guy that was talking about, uh, he said, Lord showed him a vision of being, uh, uh, the sun being there, the sun that you see in the sky, the sun being there. And he said, and he was walking into that, and he knew that Jesus was going to take care of him. But he said, but something happened and fear came on. He started to run from the sun. And the sun spoke to him and told him, said, don't do that. Turn around, come back to me like you were doing. And I thought about that scripture, the sun shall rise with healing in its wings. Didn't it say that? The sun shall rise with healing in its wings. And he turned back and he was healed. Healing is not what we think. It's healing of the sin-sick soul. It's healing from the fear that's inside of you. It's healing the pride. All those things like that. It's, that's the healing we need. We need spiritual healing. You can get your leg broke and get it fixed. You're still going to die and sin if you don't come to God. <laughs> you see how that works? That's not what he's worried about. He wants to know that you're healed from these spiritual devices that come against you. He wants to heal your sin-sick soul so that you have the right spiritual relationship with him. That's what God wants to heal. You have eyes and you'll be able to see instead of not seeing. Ears to hear, you'll be able to hear. You'll have a heart that's able to be converted instead of being not converted. Those are the things that God is looking for. That's our relationship with him in spirit. So the spirit of the Lord needs to be strong in you, doesn't it? So that when the trial comes, turn to it. Like I said, turn and walk into that trial. You say, man, that sounds crazy. No, it's not. That's how God's going to help you overcome. He said, if you repent, and if you're being, I'll teach you to be overcomers. Isn't that true? He'll help you to be an overcomer. Repent. Turn from your thought. Maybe a thought of fear. Maybe a thought of embarrassment or condemnation. Turn from that and start walking toward God. And when you make your turn, you think God can have forgiveness and, and all that stuff ready for you when you make the turn? Isn't that all part of the repentance? You make the turn and God has the forgiveness right there. He's with you guys. He hasn't left you. So then he can strengthen you to go on. That prodigal son was so happy that his father accepted him back home. Isn't that cool? Getting ready to eat the pig dung. The stuff that fed to the pigs. But he was so happy when he went home and his father received him. Isn't that cool? So let's turn. Get your encouragement in the midst of trial. Sometimes we forget when things are pressing on us. When they're pressing on us, that's the very time you need to remember. Encourage yourself. Jesus, I need your help right now. Ever-present help in the time of trouble. Ever-present. <laughs> He's never left you. Ever-present. Okay, Lord, this is where I need you. And he will help you. Does it always mean that he takes the thing away? Remember what I said? He's not going to take it away. He's going to help you to endure it. 
And then you'll realize this too shall pass. And God strengthened me in it. And I'm a better person for it. I faced a trial and God helped me to overcome. Wow. Israel could never do that. But you're different than Israel. You are the children of the Holy One. You have an unction from the Holy One. Don't you? And that unction is going to show you, seek my face in the midst of it. This is a different time, y'all. This is grace and truth. This is God working in our day. And Christ is doing his great thing in the midst of us. Isn't that cool? Take heart, because God has some great things in store for you. Anybody got a question for me or a comment about what I said? Go ahead, Seth. I was thinking about what you were saying, and um, um, I thought because when you said that those, those spirits and those thoughts are there to perform the will of God. They are. They're there to perform the will of God, but it's funny because if the Lord never leaves you nor forsake you, you realize that when you start coming into those things like that, that running into those things is running into Jesus. You really are. Because running away from it, you don't learn anything. We heard the song today that says that we walk by faith and and not not by sight. sight. So running into those things is not looking at the issue or the problem. It's looking at what Jesus wants to do for you in it, you know, and what he, the plan he has for you. says that in our weaknesses that he is made strong. So it's not really about us or our might. It's what Jesus is going to do for us and what we're going to learn and what we're going to be taught going to that because we walk by faith and not by sight. So I just thought that was awesome because he's, those spirits and those things are there to perform the will of God. So if we're in the will of God, we're going to walk like Jesus would walk. Does that mean it won't be scary? It's going to be scary. It may be scary. But Does that mean that, that it may bring a fear, a little bit of fear? That's true. Initially, that's how you're going to think. And then you have to come to remembrance of what God is doing and that he's there. We, we look at that big, huge problem. It's like a monster to us, doesn't it? It's like a big thing we can't overcome. But then God will allow you to see it from the heavenly view, and you'll see that your foot is on that big monster. It was big to you back there, but when you look at it through God's eyes, it's a little something under your feet. Isn't that how it works? We just have to have the right mindset. That's the way it works, Gail, is the right mindset. How we look at things. How do we look at them? And sometimes, initially, but then get a hold of yourself. Encourage yourself. Come on, get a hold of yourself and encourage yourself. And you'll know and say, wait a minute, God's still here. God is still here. That's it. Still, people run all the time. They're going to keep running from the trial and they'll never get strengthened. They'll never get what they need from God. Need to walk into the trial with Christ. Then you'll learn something. God will teach you something every time. Go ahead, Gil. What I was going to say about the encouragement is, and actually had an incident at work this week, and the interesting result was when I started to not look at the situation the way it was going to happen, but kind of leave my mind like blank, the Lord started filling in 
the pieces. And I didn't realize that at the time until what you just spoke right now because there was a, a thought, then someone came and gave me another thought that said no expectations and it kind of like made me look at, okay, those were my expectations. This person's saying no expectations, so just let the Lord deal with what he has to deal with in this situation. That's true. But we get fooled by our expectations. We expect certain things to happen a certain way. What if God says it's not going to happen that way? What, what if the enemy comes and you know for sure it's not going to happen that way? Then what are you going to do? Dan spoke about expectations on his last blog. I don't know how many of you read it. There's, there's this expectation of the flesh that thinks things need to work out according to how you think. But what if God says, this is here to test you and I want to work it out the way according to how I think. And this is here for your benefit, not to hurt you. You see how it works? So your expectation can make you messed up. It can mess you up big time because you expect by the flesh this thing is going to happen this way. Uh-uh. God said, no, I have something else in mind. David had an expectation. He, said, he even asked the Lord, he said, shall I pursue? Is it going to be any use? What was his expectation? Once God talked to him, he said, oh, now I got another expectation. God said, I'll recover all. But at first he said, is it any use? Should I pursue? You see how this works? We're at the valley of decision all the time. We all are. About whether we're going to make the right decision about things that come into our life. Are you going to make the right decision or the wrong decision? Are you going to make it based on the flesh or are you going to base it on Christ? Your expectation is not God's expectation. Learn that right off the bat. Your expectation of how things are going to work and do whatever is not God's. You have to seek God and let God show you his expectation in any situation you're in. How many times have we been surprised because we thought things were going to work out one way, they worked out a different way? Oh, that's happened to us so many times. It didn't work out the way I thought, but God worked it out another way. That's powerful, huh? And I'm going to say something coming to me right now. One expectation I had one time, and I thought God needed to rescue me a certain way, this way, to, and that's the only way it's going to work. Well, I lost what I was so worried about. I actually lost it. It was taken away from me, and then God provided something better. <laughs> Once I realized, oh, my God, my expectation was wrong. Let God do what he's going to do. He always does better than what you think. Let it be his expectation, what he says. It, it, you know, and you say, oh, I lost it. It's all, all is lost. All's gone. No, it wasn't. God provided something better for me over here. I learned a valuable lesson then. I thought all was lost. He provided something better. Wow. My expectation would have left me short. God's expectation took me all the way. <laughs> Isn't that cool? That's the way it works. So don't have any expectation. Let God do what he's going to do. Let him do it. Say, by your will, Lord, that's it. Your will be done. We say that, but we got to mean it. Your will be done, and then see what God does. It may be his will for him to take that thing. Wow. Lord, that's not what I wanted. <laughs> God said, yeah, but that's what you need. That's what you need right now. And then depend on me, because I'm going to fulfill my will. 
in you and something better will come along. And know that I am God. That's good, huh? 